Welcome back to the Tegok Warriors podcast. For this August episode, we're going to talk about the transfer window, and we're also going to sort of preview the European season. But for now, I got to introduce my guests. My first guest is a YouTuber. He's a Man United fan. He's on Twitter. He's funny. He's John Shin. What's up, man? I know. Thank you for having me. Uh, I don't know about the funny part because uh, when I, I was trying funny. to introduce myself, uh, no, I do appreciate <laughs> that. I try very hard to be funny at times. Uh, when you first invited me to that, the the Tegu podcast room, I saw the list and I was like, oh my goodness, some of these guys are people that I like actually look up to in terms of the sports media space. So I, cre- I like spent 30 minutes on the toilet at work. I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm like losing lunchtime. <laughs> I created this post. Try to I try to make some a funny post, and it probably like two people probably reacted to it. So uh, <laughs> I probably didn't really make a good first impression, but nonetheless, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, this is Gordon's second appearance on this podcast. He always previews the European season with us. How are you doing, Gordon? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me again. You know, it's been a year. I've been slacking. I get it. But yeah, it's always good to you know talk about European League before it kicks off. Um, again, we've got a lot of things to talk about. Um, there's gonna be some hot takes in here. I'll be bringing some hot takes, so let's do it. And as always, calling in from Korea, Albert, how you doing? I'm great, fellas. Uh, excited to be here. Um, great to see John's KFC bucket over there on the right side. Just his setup is. It's pretty awesome. And he's got like some really cool jerseys framed too. So it's just like, we got to step our game up here. But um, I'm excited to be on the pod. And we've had some really crappy weather in Seoul in the past like few weeks. So just trying to stay dry. But um, glad to see everyone's all safe. And I'm excited. Like, this is going to be a fun pod. All our future guests, if they don't have seven jerseys in the background with a sick guitar in the back and a Korean President <laughs> 2 jersey signed by all the players that played, we can't have them on the pod again. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, I think I'll start recruiting just by like looking at your setup in the in the photos that you send me. You know, <laughs> it's all flair, zero substance. I just look pretty on the outside, inside it's empty. <laughs> we are definitely going to talk about one jersey later on in the pod where we talk about a little bit about um, John's YouTube channel. But for now, let's get into the transfer market. We've got a couple weeks left. We got some deals that are very important to talk about here on the pod. So. Let's go with some smaller ones. I'm just going to run them down for you guys, and then we'll get into the bigger ones that we want to discuss as a group. Um, first of all, young guy, center attacking midfield, went to Belgium with Gent, Hong Hyun-suk. Uh, Lee Hyun-ju is a winger. He's going to FC Bayern. He's playing for the reserves right now. Um, now into like the more like national team-ready players that we know about. Huang Yinbum went to Olympiakos in the Greek League from Ruben Kazan. Kim Min-jae has gone to Serie A with Napoli. Um, we've got some rumors about Isungu attracting some interest from Scotland. And then last but not least, our starting striker, Huang Ijo, is um, doing something. He's um, going to sign for somebody. I don't really know who. <laughs> what sh- who should we talk about first, guys? I think we should start with Kim Jae, you know, one of our highest profile, you know, players that we got in the Korean national team. And honestly, he just he hasn't only gotten attraction from the Korean media, but I think he's garnered a lot of attraction, a lot of attention from European media as well. I mean, he looked really good in preseason against Mallorca, Giron. I didn't watch the Espanol game, uh, but his partnership with Mir Armani looked really solid. So, I mean... 
everyone kind of expected that. He was going to adjust pretty quickly to um, their system. He's already played in Europe before with Fenerbahce. Um, but I'm really excited to see his uh, first game against Hellas Verona. I think that's going to really prove it to the Napoli fans that he was a good signing. So I'm super excited. I think he's going to do super. I think he's going to do really well in Syria. I think he stays there for a year or two, and then he's probably going to move again. In my that's this is my opinion. Gordon, I totally agree with you. This guy is like such hot property for a center back. I think you're right. He's going to stay, you know, and dominate in Syria for like a couple years, and then someone else is going to want him and pay big money for him. It's just, this guy is too good. He's too big. He's too fast. Like he's just the full package for a center back. Yeah. I don't know who his agent is, but like, I think his uh, contract is three years. Like he's super smart. He's very smart about his contracts and where he goes and where he plays. Um, so like in a year or two, he's going to go for, he's going to go for cheap and he's going to be a hot commodity for sure. You know, I don't, uh, you know, uh, as, as much as I don't, I'm not as proficient as you gentlemen when it comes to talking about these Korean players. One thing I do rec recognize and see when it comes to Kim min is like when he plays, he gives, he gives off this, this energy of like zero fucks. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like Ki Sung-young, but like Ki Sung-young was more like, Ki Sung-young was more like, oh, y'all talking shit. All right, you know what? <laughs> Screw y'all. Kim min is like. He gives off the same energy, but he actually just transmits it straight onto the pitch. And I love that about him. And I saw that. I remember there was – I might have read something on Twitter about how there was early interest from Spurs to try and pick him up. I'm actually glad he didn't go, uh, come to the EPL right away. I think he needs a bit of time somewhere else. I think Napoli and Serie A is a perfect place. And I think what Gordon said was spot on. I'd love to see him, you know, flourish and prosper because that's a perfect place for him to grow and to get exposure to European football and then maybe a bigger profile move to somewhere like maybe, for example, the Prem uh, in, the, in the near future. I, I'd love to follow. I can't, I can't wait to see how uh, this guy's career grows because he's just fantastic. For a defender, I mean, there's no better place in Syria, in my opinion. You know, like he's, he's going to learn so much in Syria because this is the defensive league. That's like, per I think that's perfect transition. Well, for me, um, I actually was talking to some uh, Tottenham um, fans in a different pod, um, and they were all a little not surprised that he didn't move this year. I, I think if eventually he does go to Spurs, like you already have pretty three good uh, center backs there in Davies, Romero, and Dyer. So I, I even think if he goes to the Prem in a few years, God forbid, we might see him end up at another club like maybe Chelsea. Um, once Thiago Silva goes, um, if United get their finances and player recruitment in order, we could see him there. So, I, you know, I used to think that I'd wanted him at Tottenham after he finishes his year or two sabbatical in Italy. But I think that for the game and just for the growth of the sport and to have more Korean fans interested in the Prem, it could be a good thing for him to go to maybe a different club besides Tottenham later on. Um, to to kind of um, shepherd some Korean fans over to that certain club, um, and but I'm getting ahead of myself because he has to do well in Italy. You know, um, historically, I don't think Korean players have played too well over um, in Syria. But again, this is like a new generation of guys, and Kim Minja is, I think, probably the best out of all those players who were in Italy. And I think he has the attitude um, and also definitely the skill set to succeed. And Gordon's right; like the Italian league is the perfect place for a defender to grow and just learn how to play the game. Um, the pace of the game is a lot slower. Um, a lot more teams sit back and rely on set pieces and long balls to score. So I think it'll be a great, 
kind of almost warm-up exercise for him before the World Cup later this year. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to add too much pressure on Kim Min Jae, but if we think about Korea's relationship with Italy, you know, we have that situation with the World Cup. We have uh, An Jong-un's problem with Perugia back then. You know, it's never been the cleanest. You know, but Italian fans, they are diehard fans. There's nobody stronger in terms of showing love than Italian fans. If if Kim Min Jae goes there and he does great for Napoli, you know, them folks are going to back him like like there's no tomorrow, and that potentially could repair. Serie A and, it, and Italy's, you know, preference or ability to want more to bring more Korean players, and that could be better for Korean players in the long run. Obviously, that's you know kind of a bit of a stretch, but anything that Kim Min Jae does well for Napoli is going to be you know positives for everybody, all parties concerned. He is the perfect person to do that because of what John said. He has he has that no fucks attitude because I he knows how good he is. Because some players, they, they are very good, but they don't have that confidence to like take him to the next level, and he does. And to, like I guess, break that ceiling, that he's a perfect person to go to Serie A right now. Yeah, dude, this is a perfect move. I also, I just wanted to like go back to what Gordon said about like his agent. Um, this guy has done a really good job in terms of like navigating him to Europe. You know, getting him to Fenerbahce, but then getting him a contract that had a very reasonable buyout in it was really smart and then yeah just like signing up for you know three-year contracts always with buyout clauses in there it just always makes it easier for you to move to the next club because the next club knows what your price is knows what the market is for you and they could just sort of you know they don't have to get into bidding wars with everybody right it's just his agent's doing a really good job of just making sure he has a really good career in europe it's awesome all right let's talk a little bit about Hmm. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about Isungu? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, yeah, Albert, start us All off. right, well, so everyone knows, I guess if you listen to the pod about my, you know, little encounter with the guy, and it's really kind of formed some of my opinions about him. Um, I, I think that it's great, listen, that he's playing well down in Suwon and that he's been linked to a club in Europe, um, more specifically the Scottish Premier League. But given his um, personality and the way he's bounced around so many clubs in Europe before, I think he's really also a guy that needs to be um, in a location that suits him lifestyle-wise. You know, he's not the type of guy who's going to come to training happy if he's living somewhere, you know, God forbid, like in the Scottish countryside or, you know, even in like a place like Scotland, I'm sorry to say, you know, it's just, it's not the most exciting place to be, if we're being honest. And I think that... For him, I think he probably spends a year or maybe another uh, year or two here in K in the K-League before he uh, makes the jump to Europe again. And I think when he makes the jump this time, he should go somewhere that's much better for his development, uh, whether that's the Bundesliga or maybe um, even the Spanish uh, La Liga. Um, I, I don't think he's big enough to play in the EPL. But uh, again, I, I think that he's better suited staying in Korea in a system that he's familiar with and rather going all the way to Scotland and then trying to play a few years there and moving again. Because if he, even if he moves to Scotland, we all know that's not his end goal. That's just going to be another stepping stone for him. And for him right now, I think he's best off in Suwon and waiting for a better offer to materialize. Yeah. I mean, what do what do you guys know about the nightlife in Edinburgh? Oh, uh, you know what? That's actually crazy. Cause uh, recently a fan reached out to me and he, he 
it was like a 19 year old kid he just flown to new york for vacation from edinburgh and he wanted to meet up and he wanted to just chat with me about like content ideas that he had we linked up at uh, brian park here in the city and i actually asked him i was like look i'm not trying to be disrespectful like how how does how does your day-to-day feel like in edinburgh compared to your time here in new york because he was absolutely loving life and he was like john like edinburgh sucks like oh. it's dead he he's from he's from scotland but he was using like roadman slang i mean he was like bruv it's bad debt fam and i was just like oh for real like I, he was just he's telling me that it was really uh, gloomy and boring he said it's beautiful but it doesn't feel as exciting as new york and obviously that's like comparing two you know po- uh, you know opposite ends of the spectrum respectfully of course to edinburgh but i agree 1000 ex- with what albert's saying i had a cousin who a young kid, my my uh, aunt and uncle threw him around all over the all over the country, all over the states to send him to this boarding school, this boarding school. The kid was miserable. He would call me. He was like, "Young, I I can't do this." He just he was done. And then he moved back to Korea, and now he looks happy. His skin his skin's clean. He's with a beautiful girlfriend. He's living life. That's what Ezuin needs to do right now. People seem to forget there was a documentary a long time ago when uh, Sonny was being when he was in Hamburg and there was a I think it was SBS they did a documentary on him. He looked miserable, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I wanted to like him and I, we're both 92s. I wanted to fly over to Hamburg, make him takjuk and like massage his legs or something. The dude looked miserable, and I, I really really think him uh was staying in korea right now is probably the best move for him john did you hear that uh Isingu story that when i met him in Gangnam that one time a no, few years ago all right so basically what happened to make it quick is like i was at like a really popular like lounge bar in like uh shinsa and you know like shinsa dong's the hot neighborhood where all the pretty girls and the rich celebrities go right so i don't know anything about pretty women okay. so yeah let's do okay it. but yeah it's like the hip area and it, this was like four in the morning right right but this is before covid too so the like the club was packed mm-hmm. Um, I look at the door and I see like a guy walk in and it's freaking Isungu in like a hoodie and sweatpants. And uh-huh. he goes over to the bathroom to take a piss. And I just, I meander over there because I also had to go too. And I'm trying like not to like listen to his conversation, but I can't help it because like the dude's like talking really loud to I think his manager or somebody. And he's uh-huh. like, so like, how are you liking being back in Korea? And Isungu was like, oh yeah, it's great, man. I just took a flight um, from Belgium on a Friday so I could come here on a Saturday to party. And now I'm going to take a private plane on Sunday to go back for training. So that kind of encapsulates like the kid and his personality, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, with all respect to Isung, we, we know the, the, the tough situation that he had to encounter in Spain. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you want to succeed, you got to put your head down and you got to work hard. So if he's not going to learn that, whatever the situation is, at the end of the day, if he's doing well in Korea and if he's vibing in Korea, maybe he'll turn to that age where he goes, oh, shit, like, oh, man, I, I can't do this if I want to be that next level player. And Korea is a great place for him to learn that. So uh, that encounter, I, I would love to go to that same place he was at because if there's pretty women, I need I need to be there. But, um, yeah, no. yeah <laughs> in Korea is the best move. Next time you come to Seoul, uh, I'll take you there. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh my gosh. I'm glad that we now know that Edinburgh is not the place for Isingu because there's no nightlife there. He needs nightlife. The man needs nightlife. Uh, look, if, if there's anybody that's Scottish listening to this, I, I'm just I'm just speaking respectfully. And I, I heard it from a Scottish person. I'm not just talking out of my ass. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Okay. I want to talk a little bit. Well, actually, you know what? I want to talk about Huang Yijun. I've been waiting for this. Um, I just want to summarize, uh, talk about, explain what Huang Yijun is doing right now in his transfer saga. Okay, so um, 
just background, like way important background. Um, his club is Girondin Bordeaux. And Bordeaux was owned by some American hedge fund, King Street, that just pulled funding for the club last year in April when like Liga had like a bad broadcast deal with MediaPro. So th that hedge fund pulls funding. This random dude, Gerard Lopez, comes into the by the by the club. But for the 21-22 season, they get relegated. But their finances are so bad at Bordeaux that all the French authorities want to put them into administration. They're like, you guys have no money. We're putting you into an administration. So every single French team that bid for Huang Yijou was like, oh, we actually don't have to pay him any money because they don't have any. So we'll just get this guy on a free. So they lowballed the hell out of Bordeaux. But right now, currently, Huang Yijou has offers from Brest, Nantes, Strasbourg. He's had interest from Porto. He's gotten an offer from Wolves, Fulham, and Nottingham Forest. Like, what the heck should this guy do? Like, wh what is he doing, guys? Just tell me, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, I'm just putting myself in his shoes. I think, I think his thoughts right now, his thinking process, hey, either I worry about the World Cup or my professional like goals, right? So those two can go coincide, but I think on a professional level, they, he wants to challenge himself in the next level, let's say Premier League, whatever, Liga, whatever it is. So either he goes and challenges himself and then loses a starting spot, or he doesn't get minutes, or he goes to a sure-sided sure club where he knows he's gonna get playing time, but it's not a challenge, whereas per se, this is his last time. This is at the age of 29, 30. This is probably his last contract that he's gonna get where he's gonna be able to challenge himself. Um, next, con next three, four years, he's probably gonna be at the tail end of his career where he's gonna have to go back to Korea or China or wherever, you know, where the competition is not so tense. Um, so I think that's his dilemma, if, it, if there is even a dilemma. Um, I think, his best decision is, I think he challenges himself. Uh, I think whether or not he plays regularly for any club, he's going to be the number one uh, striker for Korea at the World Cup. So I think the best decision for him is to challenge himself, go to Premier League, go to a Champions League team, whether that might be Wolves, Nods, you know, even Fulham, I think, you know, would be a good challenge. But I think for me, I think the best decision, best place he can go to is Wolves, just just basing off of how much playing time he's going to get and the chances that he's going to get. If he goes to Fulham, he's not going to beat out Mitrovic. Um, he goes to Nottingham Forest. There's too many attackers there for him to actually get playing time. He'll get his chances, but I don't think he's good enough or he's going to have enough playing time to actually warrant um, beating somebody out. Um, but Wolves, Jimenez is injured right now. Hwagi Chan is being forced to play the top, I think. Uh, Bruno Lodge has already, you know, experienced Korean players with Huang Chan, so he will absolutely give him the chance and plenty of playing time to beat out Jimenez. Uh, Jimenez has been his form has been going down, you know, the past two years after his injury. So I think the I think going to Wolves is probably the most feasible uh, if he wants to challenge himself. If not, then I think he stays in, you know, league on uh, with Nantes or whatever Brest, whatever team that you know. Works guarantee him um, a starting spot or solid solid minutes. Yeah, I think this like move is going to be the moment of truth for him because he's been playing in um, no disrespect to the French League, but um, Liga isn't exactly like 
the place where you um I, I guess make your name known i guess to like to the bigger international like european scouts like it's a place where you can play for sure but it's always like seen as a stepping stone to another league um and i and i agree with gordon in that tactically i think he fits better at wolves just because um they also tend to play with two strikers so he wouldn't be competing um with somebody else all the time and i, I think if he was at a club like nottingham nottingham that has a lot of strikers there he wouldn't play as much and uh, one thing before I let Mike go here is that I think that he really has to play a lot this year or else I wouldn't even start put him in the starting 11 for the first game against Uruguay because I need him to be healthy in form and um, scoring a lot of goals um, just to be ready for the World Cup. So hopefully this move works out for him. It could backfire, but I like the fact that he's going to challenge himself in England. All right. Um, I just want to go back to what Gordon said about challenging himself. I think that something about um, that we kind of know about Huang Ijo is that when he left Gamba Osaka and signed for Bordeaux, there were offers from MLS. Um, I believe Vancouver Whitecaps at the time were interested. Other teams were interested. And he actually turned them all down because he's like, I want to challenge myself in Europe. I want to go to Bordeaux. I want to challenge myself there. So I think he's got to make another sort of decision like that. Um, yeah, you know, Brest, Nantes, Strasbourg, all of these league all teams are offering him, you know, the starting position as they're starting forward. That's great. But I think that like Gordon's absolutely right. Going to Wolves would be the best option to challenge himself and really compete for a starting role and, you know, play in the best league in the world. But the, the problem is though, is that Wolves's offer is currently lower than Nottingham Forest's offer. Nottingham Forest is offering just a little bit more. And, but the thing is like Nottingham Forest is legitimately buying a whole entire new squad for their Premier League season, which is crazy. Like they're buying a bunch of new players just to like have a bid to stay in the Premier League, right? So it just, that doesn't really seem like a great place to go as a new signing. But then also like, you know, if your club is financially in trouble, they're obviously going to accept the highest offer. So that's sort of like the dilemma I think he has with the bad situation he's in at the club. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what he's going to do. You know, I don't think anyone does unless you're super close to him. But yeah, like Fulham, I think it's a hard no-go. Um, Nottingham Forest, it's, they're going to be a relegation team, no matter how many mm -hmm. players they yeah. bring in. They're going to be a regulation team. So that's a risk. So they can, he can play one year in the Premier League and then go back down the championship. So that that's a big factor in it. So I think if those three teams, the Wolves, Fulham, Nottingham, are truly what you know, that's on the table, that I think Wolves, just from those three factors, I think he goes to Wolves, if that's all true, right? I mean, from what I'm hearing, that's what he wants right now. That's what he wants, and that's what, like, you know, his agent wants. That's what, like, everybody, you know, that sort of is around him wants. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, from what I, like, what I've heard is it's going to, like, the announcement's going to happen soon. Like, Bordeaux have, has accepted their bids. They've seen the the offers, and they're sort of you know going to accept the transfer, and then he's going to go negotiate his contracts. So we'll see soon, but hopefully, when all the dust clears, he'll be a Wolves player. That'll be really awesome to see. Yeah, whatever the decision is, I think he needs to make it within next week because non Strasbourg press or they're not going to wait. Right? They're going to they're, they're just not going to wait until deadline day. I think to look for a striker. Um, so I think in the next week, he needs to decide. Yeah. All right. 
Okay, so this is like a, a little bit more of a heavier topic, but I think that like this is something that, you know, all four of us, we are Korean American men and we have our thoughts on this. Um, so I just want to like bring this to the table and just give us like a little bit of time to just sort of like digest and talk about this. Um, in the past couple weeks and months, both Sonung Min and Lee Jae Sung have sort of personally spoken up about the fact that while they were in Germany, they have faced a lot of racism. Um, so Lee Jae Sung did a personal blog post on Naver, basically saying that when he was at Holstein Kiel, uh, teammates would sort of like just laugh at him and sort of make fun of how he smelled. Uh, they say he smelled like garlic. Um, during like team meetings that had stuff to do with like eyes, like um, they would just do like the squinty eyes joke to him. So that's not great. Um, and then also Huang Yichan, like a couple weeks ago, he was playing out in Portugal and he was trying to take a penalty and he got the lasers in his eyes and his club after the match said that, you know, not only was that really unprofessional to, you know, shine a laser in his eye, but at the same time, there was a lot of, you know, racial slurs being thrown at him. So what do you guys sort of think about this? Um, you know, I think it's typical. Um, I've said this before, um, being a minority in a place like Europe or North America is, it's fucking exhausting. Like, excuse my language. Like, um, I don't know where Gordon and John grew up, but I, um, I grew up in the suburbs of, um, Anaheim, California, and there's a lot of Koreans there, but I grew up in a mostly white affluent suburb and, um, you know, the racism you face, it's like when people say like, oh, like you're complaining too much or like America is the land where like you can be anyone you want to be and like you're not black, like you shouldn't complain about racism. Like the racism we face isn't like in the forms of beatings or lynchings. I've always said this. It's always like a microaggression. It's always an offhand comment. It's always something that reminds you of your conditionality, I think, as an American citizen. I've always said that being an Asian American is like conditional based on some requirements that you meet. Um, and then when I moved to Virginia, it got even worse. And I feel like no matter what state you live in, blue or red, you're always going to face that. And even in Germany, where um, that country is extremely diverse, their national team is full of um, players whose fathers or mothers are from different countries as well. And um, the fact that even he would face racism there, it's, it's not surprising. And again, this is a problem that we have in Korea too. You know, Koreans can be viciously racist to the minorities we have here, but. Um, it's a fact that, you know, I think when Asians go abroad that we do take it a little harder than um, some maybe other ethnicities. And um, to be honest, like, I'm glad that Sonny came out with this quote about being happy when he made ger the German fans cry because, like, if you're human, like, how could you, like, not feel the way he does, you know? And I think it's a problem in football that's yet to be addressed. I think FIFA has done a really, really poor job of trying to address the issue. Um and I, I think honestly, like the biggest problem areas are probably like places like Eastern Europe, uh, Hungary, to be example, where their fans will continue to be viciously racist, even if it means a point deduction. Um, so I would advise like any young Korean footballer, if you're trying to make a move to Europe to avoid certain areas. And it sounds bad saying this and it might sound weak, but I just like. I'm more about just being comfortable and being in a place where I don't have to worry about that crap after you grow up with it for so long. So um, it sucks that it happened, but now that they're both, you know, kind of established stars in a sense, it probably won't happen as much. But it's sad, but, you know, it doesn't surprise me. And that's just the reality we have to live with, um, not just like as Asians, but as Asian men living in a white dominated society. I mean, I think like 
you know, I would say racism's everywhere. It's America, it's in every other country. And I think being a professional footballer where you play um, in countries where you're a minority, it's gonna, it comes with the, it comes with the profession, I think. Um, it, it, I'm not saying that you need to put up with it, but it is something you need to be expecting. Um, and, I th and I think the best thing you can do, and, I, and I, you see our players doing it, is just increase awareness. Hey, it, this does happen. It's not acceptable. Um, but I mean, what I can say is that it's probably not as bad when like Anjouan, the Anjouans or Parchisans or Kizongyons or Chadri's played. So, I mean, we can't say, you know, it hasn't been getting better and these countries have addressed it in their own ways. Maybe we don't like it the way that we, they have addressed it or how drastically they addressed it, but it has been addressed and it has been getting better. Yeah. FIFA needs to do a better job of, you know, just monitoring it and having a better system of actually having repercussions or punitive actions against it. But I mean, I also don't want it to taint or disrupt the game at all. Um, I think it's just like, it's a thing. It's another thing with confidence too. Like, Hey man, like if someone's being a, a racist against you, like you, you do have to kind of put up with that. that. It comes with the game, it comes with the profession. And if you do better, it's just another way to increase awareness. Hey, like that's probably not acceptable. You know, because not everyone has the same level of education. People that are not culturally aware, culturally sensitive. So, I mean, Sunny has increased like the awareness of all of people in England about Korea. And if you can do, if like Kim Min Jae could do that in Syria and Italy, that's just another win. I uh, I was in I was in London last year, and uh, uh, I've been to England a couple of times. And every time I've been there, I've always had a, a run in with folks from England. Uh, some were aggressive, some were, I guess, from their perspective, more in jest. Like when I, when I visited in 2017, uh, I was waiting for the, the train and all, like 30, 30 Manchester United fans pulled up and they just saw me and immediately just started started singing the uh, Park Ji Sung song about eating dog and stuff. I personally at the time didn't really feel all that offended because I also was in the, in the moment thinking, oh my goodness, like I don't know how to sort of accept the situation obviously if you strip down all the <clears throat> all the details of what uh, what the lyrics are and about and things are about i actually had to get on a uh, on, on a Manchester united mutv episode talking about why we need to respect uh Park Chisung's wishes for uh for korean players in in general and he when he came out and said that uh, he'd prefer the fans stop singing these songs when i went to london in 20 well, last year i had literally had maybe seven people just walk up to me and just straight up be like, Hey, Sonny, Sonny. And I had a couple of folks like, Sonny, you got a lighter breath, Sonny, Sonny. And it's, first of all, I look nothing like Sonny. Um, I, I took it as a compliment, you know, cause you know, they're just calling me fucking, you know, handsome and shit, but no, but jokes aside, it's at the end of the day, these players in an ideal world, they shouldn't be subject to these kinds of things. But I think just to, just to cap it off, I think, uh, you know, Albert and Gordon said it. They, the FIFA definitely needs to do a better job. But I really want to see clubs doing more. I want to see clubs being more proactive, even being aggressive towards these fans who are thinking that they could get away with doing shit like this. I remember in April of 2021 last year, I was uh, 
I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw there was a player by the name of Mukhtar Diakabi. I forgot his name. Uh, I, forgot, I don't know how to pronounce it pr- pr- uh, properly, but I remember the entire Valencia team walked off the, the, the pitch because uh, he was being subject to racial abuse. I want to see some of that in the Prem. I want to see some of that it, it, where, you know, the club is like, you know, I'm going to we're gonna ban this guy for life. or something. I want to see more proactivity from the clubs and the teammates themselves. Obviously, there are situations where the teammates can be racist as well, but call them out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's 2022. We can't be allowing these things to just transpire with zero repercussion these players these these racist fans players teams whatever it is racist people need to be held accountable no matter what and fifa and the clubs need to do a better job of protecting its people uh, its players yeah no just to cap off what john was saying which is a really great point um i think we also have to remember and we'd be lying if this wasn't true that in uh, sports culture and especially in the um, the fan culture over in Europe and football, we can't pretend that there isn't a vicious like right wing extremist element that has um, infected some of those clubs, especially among the ultras um, in Germany and England and Italy. Um, this has been a problem, I think, since the beginning of modern football, since all the way back to the 70s and 60s, after like a few decades after the Second World War. It's like a lot of these clubs have history of affiliating with racist neo-nazis and people don't want to talk about it and people want to say you're being political you're being woke it's it's a fact that these clubs have an issue with it it's something they haven't addressed yet and um you just go to like a local pub over in england you're gonna hear like racial epithets thrown like candy it's it's a thing that's normal to a lot of these people and until they address the culture too and start calling out some of their own fans especially the ultras it's going to be a problem, and it's something that FIFA, yeah, they can do something about it, but it also, like like John said, at the local level, starting in the academies, too, is where it needs to start, not just at the pro level. It has to start down at the academies when the kid, when your kids are younger and teach them, like, nah, like, this is where it stops. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, it has to be a local educational thing where we change the culture and we sort of call it out when we see it and just understand that, like, yeah, you might think that these things are just funny jokes, but when they pile up, when it keeps happening, it takes a toll. And it's just overall, like, we have to stamp it out and say, like, none of it's okay. None of these jokes are okay. None of these racial slurs are okay. None of these behaviors are okay anymore. I think that's sort of like how you have to do it. And yeah, educate at a club level, at a fan level, and just, you know, keep talking about it because, yeah, it's just, <laughs> I, just think it's just something that we continually have to work on. That's that's my sort of thought about it. Should we get back to the footy? All right, boys. Let's talk about the European leagues. Uh, EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, and Serie A are the ones that we're going to really focus on right now. Um, obviously, EPL is the biggest league in the world. Let's sort of ask some questions. Let's sort of just sort of get into the banter with that. Um, first of all, uh, my my question is, uh, it's for John Shin. Uh, how trash will Man United be this season? Just how trash will they be? You know, I saw this on your the script, and I was extremely nervous about this point because I have been getting beaten down by uh, my friends who are not Man United fans. It is exhausting, um, but reality is is that Manchester United will not be anywhere near challenging for even top four anytime soon and that's just fact this transfer window was the transfer window of hope eric ten Hag coming you know this new idea of uh, the the previous ceo ed woodward leaving this this the changing of the guard 
you know, John Murtaugh, Richard Arnold. There were big changes in, you know, upstairs and on, on the pitch. Lots of changes, lots of players moving on. And we looked like, oh, my goodness, maybe these boys are really waking up and smelling the fucking coffee. Maybe something might change. But it seems like it isn't. As of right now, at this time of recording, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like Eric Ten Hag is properly being backed to the fullest. Maybe he is, and the transfer situations are difficult. I mean, we've seen Barcelona. The biggest name, of course, is Frankie de Jong to Manchester United. Manchester United, according to the reports, are suggesting that they are going to stay as resilient and as persevering as possible in terms of trying to pursue this fella and that's great and whatnot but that's it's just one player we've let go of so many of these players our squad is thin we have no depth whatsoever depth was already an issue when we had all of these players half of them are gone now there's even less depth and and the and the club doesn't really seem to be backing the players i'm sorry the backing the manager uh to the fullest extent and i just feel exhausted I, you know on, on youtube and you know on twitter i people know me as the optimist some people call me delusional at times for being too optimistic this is the first season where i'm sitting down and i'm thinking oh my goodness like it's i, I really genuinely now feel like it might actually take a little bit longer for manchester united to even compete in the highest of levels and it's it's a scary real it's a super scary feeling but it's just at the point at at this point it's almost become reality Oh, so John, John said so, Man U is going to get relegated. Oh, it's on record. John said Man U is going to get relegated. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. John, you don't think uh, Adrian Rabio is going to save your pro- solve your problems, man? Is, this, is my, <laughs> this is my problem. Yes. This is my Go problem. It, okay, wait, hold on. This is my problem with the whole Rabio situation. First of all, Rabio's uh, agent is his mumsy. And Mumsy obviously looks after her kids best. But we don't want that <laughs> yes, problem. Yes. We don't <laughs> want that problem. Manchester United's dressing room problems, one of the issues has been petulance. Not, whether it be with the players directly or with the players and their uh, agents, we've had problems with players like this. This would have never fly, uh, fl- uh, fly under Sir Alex Ferguson. He would have been like, get your fucking ass out of here. It would have been donezo. But we're still here having to worry about Adrian Rabio and his, and his mom. And apparently, Adrian Rabio is also another petulant player. He's obviously had problems with the French uh, French national team. He's had problems with Juventus. He's not even a great player. There's somebody was somebody was throwing stats at me about how uh, Scott McTominay's had better like forward progressive passes than uh, Adrian Rabio. I mean, Scott McTominay is one of the worst footballers I have ever <laughs> w- laid my eyes on. You know what I'm saying? Like. And you're telling me Adrian Rabiot has less progressive forward passes? I mean, la- I think last game he had like three touches or some some obscene number. I mean, I could go on. I can lose. I can flip shit. But Adrian Rabiot, dude, I, I don't even understand. You know what I mean? Wait. So um, I just want to just update you on the news. Um, John Murtaugh is currently in Torino negotiating with Adrian Rabiot's mom right now. That's what he's uh, doing. You know- no, I think I think everybody's misunderstanding this. I don't think they understand that John Murtaugh, he's been he's I think he's just out on a date, really. Oh with Mumsy. I think that's what it oh. is. You know? Okay. I heard Turin's got I heard Turin's got banging gelato. I heard mm-hmm. they got Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go with the the cliche Italian food, so I'm gonna and I'm gonna avoid the whole pasta and you know what I'm saying? But the gelato I heard is fantabulous. And I think he's just out there with Mumsy having a good time. I think Adrian okay. Rabiot is like the the footer of the conversation you know what i'm saying i'd like to believe at that's the thing and i just i'm full-on delusional at this point i've literally woken up every morning and tweeted frankie de young will join manchester united no matter how bs that sounds that's that's how delusion that's how my head's gone like i can't come back anymore you know what i mean like that's where i'm at 
if we, I have a feeling that the Rabiot deal, like all jokes aside, I have a feeling that Rabiot will be a Manchester United player, and I am truly terrified. I really am. Did, did you see this too? I don't know if it's true, but it says, uh, according to TYC Sports, Mario Icardi was also on the radar of Manchester United. <laughs> I mean, Icardi. I saw that one. I saw that one. <laughs> I, I saw that too, and I just, I was just like, I, 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 I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if they signed like Adel Tarapt. Uh, who else can we go for? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. we could probably bring back Schneider. I saw that he had a nice little gut going. I would probably bring Schneider back. You know what I mean? You can probably link with gigs after he goes to jail, after he comes out of jail on probation. You see, everything about Manchester United is just gross. It, it's just, it just stinks. And and mm -hmm. we can get a good result versus Brentford. We can get a maybe scrape something from Liverpool. I don't know. All I know is right now, this whole idea about optimism about Eric Ten Hag and this new era, it's starting off with a real bad smell. It's like you know when you first walk in on you know on a date with a girl and she just she said, "Hey, nice to meet you," and then the breath just just you know what I'm saying like it just it's like you know chillas your nose you know you know what I mean like you don't want that. That's what that's what this feels like right now. Okay, just sort of like one last, um, one last little banter. Um, do we need to send somebody to check on you on transfer deadline day if the Frankie De Jong thing is not completed? Do we need someone uh, to check on you? I actually have a couple of friends coming over. They're gonna okay. hold my hand. We're okay. Gonna, you know, just, just want to make sure you're taking care of you. That you're safe. Yes. Yes. Because okay. I'm full gone already. I've already asked for help. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about like just more positivity. Um, Tottenham, what's going to happen, Albert? Um, what's going to happen? I think is they finish top four and they win something this year. Um, whether well, that's an, win? whether that's an FA Cup or maybe the Carabao Cup, I, I think it'd be crazy to say that they're going to win the Prem, given how good Man City and Liverpool are still are. Um, but I, I think really this is the year that Conte wins something. Like if you know anything about Antonio Conte, and in fact, going back to like the Man United discussion, I think the reason why. Man United didn't want him is because the dude's a serial winner and they knew that he was going to make life uncomfortable for them, right? This is the type of guy that like throws a tantrum. He flips a shit. He throws a table and he starts cursing at everyone if he doesn't get his way. Um, and, you know, some people don't like that, but I do because he's a winner. He's a serial winner no matter where he goes. He made it to the quarterfinals of the European Championships in 2016 with an awful Italy team, like the worst team in like decades of, with that national team. It shows you how good he is. And I think really with the fact that he's been back this year by Daniel Levy with a $150 million cast infusion, I think this is really the year Tottenham kind of becomes like moves from becoming like more of like a joke mid-table team to actually becoming like a top four solidified contender. Um and I think just in terms of like um, the predictions for this weekend, I think they beat Chelsea. I know Chelsea has been a bit of a bogey mm -hmm. team for them. I agree with you, um, actually. But I think this like signal is the start of a new era for Tottenham. Uh, as long as Conte is there, um, I still think Daniel Levy is somewhat of a problem. But as long as he gives Conte money and stands out of the way like he did this year, I, I personally think that Daniel Levy had nothing to do with any of the transfers this year. I think Conte probably picked out a list of guys he wanted and said, give me him, 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 and him. Um, I think it's a good first step. Um, a little worried the fact that Sonny and Kane are now, you know, hitting their early 30s. But um, I like the foundation that they've built. And if we're talking about Man United and Tottenham, it's like one team going in another direction, another team like going in the other. And it's it's good to be a Tottenham fan these days, I'll say. Okay, before I, before I leave Tottenham, I just want to ask you, what signing are you most excited for? Which one do you think is the best signing that they made this summer? Um, okay, so I think in terms of like long-term potential, you gotta look at a guy like Basuma because he's gonna really stabilize the midfield and give us a lot of depth there. But I think in terms of like one that I like the most is Ivan Perisic. Um, just versatility, 
veteran presence in the locker room, know-how attitude to win. Um, I think he's really going to be a, um, a, a mentor for a guy like Sessegnon, especially as he tries to solidify that left wing back position. Um, and you just need that dog. You know, one thing that Tottenham have been lacking is dogs in that locker room. You know, you saw the documentary with Mourinho when he was there for a year. He was like, all right, we need you guys to be um, the C word. Like, you have to, like, act like that in order to win things. And I think just it's underrated in terms of the impact he's going to have. And I will say, as a Bayern fan, he was fantastic for us when he was on loan for a year at Bayern Munich. He scored some really critical goals in the Champions League. Um, he's just a really good player, too. Great with both feet. Um, he's the type of guy I think that um, is a Swiss Army knife in terms of where you can use him in the attack. So I think he's a great sneaky addition. And I don't know if he's going to start against Chelsea. It seems like Conte's been starting a lot of his old heads. But um, I think he's like kind of an under-the-radar signing that could end up being the best one of all the ones we made this summer. All right. Just as an Arsenal fan, I will just um, give a shout-out to Bennett. Um, I always have a bet going with Bennett. Um this year, it isn't. It involves kits, but we'll get we'll get into that when he actually comes in the pod. But um, I'm just gonna say, Tottenham will get top four, but they will win nothing. That could That's happen. I, mean, yeah. I, I actually agree with Michael. I think Tottenham will be top four, and I don't. I it sucks, but I don't think Sane's gonna win a trophy this year. I think they're and gonna then, be pretty at far the end of the season. Conte the- leaves in disgust. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, and then we uh, have him for the Korean team and give him a lot of money. <laughs> Whatever works, guys. Whatever works. All right. I have I have Spurs winning. I have Spurs winning the league. So I, that's what? Guys, oh I, I'll put my money where my mouth is. You know, I, I I've I've dropped. I've actually I've actually bet bet responsibly. I've okay. actually bet money on Spurs winning okay. the league. So uh, we'll see. I think okay. a good indicator will be, you know, the next coming weeks, like first game against Chelsea tomorrow, I think. If they blow Chelsea out of water, they just look another class above them. Like, I, I, I would just be feel more like, confident to say they, they have a I just feel like this this year is going to be another year of oddity because, simply because of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a festive December, in a, in a schedule-packed, normal situation, schedule-packed December, usually that's when Prem clubs really start to divide in terms of the table. We're getting smacked with a World Cup in the middle of winter, like in November. You know, I think that's going to play a huge role in really seeing how teams can really maintain their stability or completely, you know, destabilize. And I think Conte has something in him to be able to, you know, keep that stability going. Mm-hmm. Gordon. Yeah, and I wasn't like joking about they're not going to win anything. I, I honestly think they're not going to win anything because of the World Cup. Like mm. teams have stacked their depth chart because of the World Cup. So like usually people that win, you know, teams that win, you know, the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup, they have a solid depth or they just focus solely on winning that, you know, that um, that competition or the tournament. But teams are just as stacked as Tottenham this year. So it's going to be tough to say, hey, they're going to win for sure a trophy. I think to me it comes down to who stays the healthiest. Um, I don't think Liverpool is going to win it because I think – Thiago is liable to like tear shit like walking down the stairs. He's already hurt, right? I think it's either I think actually it's either Man City or Tottenham that wins the league. I think just because Man City has so much depth. But if they there's key guys also start to get hurt. I know Holland has a history of injuries. Foden has also um, been at times a bit injury prone. So I, I think it Kevin comes down to also. Yeah, it comes down to who stays healthy. Is Gundogan too? He got mm-hmm. I think he got COVID like twice or once. I don't know, but in any case, it comes down to who's the healthiest and. 
yeah, I could see it going both ways, actually. I, I think it is going to be a weird year, like John and Gordon said, though, for sure. All right, Gordon, I have a question for you. What European competition will Wolves qualify for? None, dude. Oh! <laughs> Zero. What do you mean? I saw that question. I was like, why is that even a question? Like, I like Wolves. I like, you know, Bruno Lage, but they're not going to qualify for shit, man. Uh, <laughs> like, them selling, like, or not selling, them, them like, really, you know, letting Connor Cody go, I think that was a huge mistake. Like, I know Bruno Lage wants to run a four-back system, but, like, Connor Cody is was i guess now the leader of that team and like for you to qualify for a european competition i feel like you need a good solid leader who do they have now who they, who's gonna i don't even know who wore the captain's band last game honestly i think maybe ruben neves is their new leader yeah, yeah ruben neves is solid you know but i think they don't have enough going forward either um unless Jimenez just returns back to his old form um where he was just you know, going off 15 goals per year, 15 plus goals a year, which I don't think is going to happen. And they don't have enough in the midfield. Uh, who do they have to back up Matinho and Neves? I don't, nobody. Uh, and they, they don't, have, yeah. they, and they haven't improved that, you know, on the off season, they're in the transfer market, unless they pick someone up in the next two weeks or three weeks. But I don't see them. They were close last year. They might be close again this year, but I don't think they're going to qualify for Europa League or Europe Conference League. Definitely not the Champions League. All I want is to is for Arsenal to not be playing Europa League next year. Um, but at this point, you know, I, I will make no predictions about Arsenal. Uh, I don't feel confident in my ability to um, actually make a correct prediction about Arsenal. In fact... I've realized that I might be a jinx for Arsenal, so I'm just going to say nothing about them. Unless Gordon you wants know, to, like, goad me into something. I'll jinx it. I think I think Arsenal wins the Europa League. 100%. Oh, wait, I want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. Solid chance. They look really <laughs> good in the preseason. Dude, I, like, Arsenal black horse this year for sure. Okay. I can get behind winning the Europa League. I can get behind it. All right, guys. Um, should we go to Spain or should we go to Germany next? Let's uh, let's do Spain first. Yeah. All right. Is this the year that Ikangen finally wins a starting job somewhere? Can he win a starting job? Can he do that? I think he can if his managers trust him. I think when he was playing in Spain for the past few years, he'd always make like sporadic appearances. Like he would never consistently be in one place. It's either him on the bench or him starting for like 50, 60 minutes. Um, I think he's like, what, 21 now? Like 21, 22 ish. Uh, this is like the year where he doesn't have to like exactly be a first team starter, but it would be good for him, especially as um, I think I'm looking more in the national team perspective. If after Paulo Bento leaves after this World Cup, whoever is the next coach is going to want him to make a good first impression on him. Or dare I say, if he's buried again on the bench in Spain, he might not get called up for a few more cycles. And that would really, really piss me off. And um, he's a guy I've said before that I would start him right now in Korea's midfield. I would give him the game time right now because I think he's the future. He's the future number 10 of this team. Um, he's just so good with the ball at his feet and he's so good at taking defenders one-on-one. -on -one. It's like he has the skill of a winger 
um, packaged into like the body of like a of a central midfielder. So it, it's he's I just can't say enough good things about him. I know people have ragged on his character and said maybe he's a lo- problem in the locker room. Listen, if he was that much of a problem, Mallorca would have exiled him to the U twenty like U twenty squad with the young kids. So. Um, he's being done dirty by Paolo Bento, and yeah, I think this is definitely the year he can nail down a starting spot because I don't think Mallorca is that strong this year either. So, this is the year for him to really show Bento that he's messing up and not picking him. And I'll let Gordon go here because he wants to say something. I think Igangin will play as a starter for the next for the first ten to fifteen games, and they're gonna win like. 25% of the games and they're gonna he's gonna go back to the benches because Aguirre Aguirre is gonna have to go back to a defensive formation I think that's what he wants to do coming out he wants to go offensively but then it might not work out for Mallorca and then like the um, manager before he's gonna eventually go back to a defensive formation which leaves Gigagin, um without a spot yeah. unfortunately it is not John, a good team us. yeah John hit us with some optimism Go. I was just I was just gonna say at the end of the day, uh, if he's stat padding and if if he gets his if he can get his stats done and if he feels good about playing when he's Mallorca's I mean what whether he, whether they win or not whether uh, Yigangin, uh scores like ten goals every like freaking three games whatever the situation is I think as long as he's showing uh, some sort of positivity some sort of consistency i think there's always going to be enough pressure on paulo bento to, to, to actually look at him and say okay uh maybe i have to consider him because i agree 1000 percent with albert that boy is techie he's saucy i don't understand how he's not in that team i really don't you know this whole conversation in the past about uh, uh and all this stuff for me it was all about Igangi. i think this guy is way too clean on his feet and i think he i think he has this elevate like this extra level of elevation that you don't see from the most most of the Korean players, and that's not to disrespect the, re- the rest of the Korean squad, but I think just Igangin is just something about him. I, he, I think he can't be overlooked. Gordon, man, I agree with everyone. I just don't think Bento is going to pick him <laughs> to go walk up. I like. I would be so surprised. I would eat my words if. Uh, Paul Bento takes him to the World Cup. He just doesn't. He in his oh. mind, he doesn't fit his system. And I don't think okay. it has to do with like a locker room issue or anything. It's just purely that he doesn't like him as a player for his system. Like everyone acknowledges that he's got the skills, but I don't think the fact that Igangin has that stigma of like oh he can't play defense, he's not fast enough. It's I think Bento saw that as well and. You know how it is with Bento. If you fall out of his system or his like shortlist, it's really hard to make it back. And Yigangin's in on that, you know, in the same boat as that. So I don't think he's gonna go to Qatar, unfortunately. Okay. Um, just to make this spicy, uh, what will you do if he does go to Qatar? Nothing, because he ain't gonna play. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you probably get like a garbage like 10 minutes of the last like if we're losing really badly i will oh. I don't, what man, will you I, do if he scores a goal at the world cup oh shit. makes an assist at the world cup that's okay yeah, yeah 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 how about that i would not talk shit about bento ever again <laughs> which i which i do often but if bento <laughs> picks him up and he brings him in as a sub, which, you know, is the most feasible thing. And um, he scores. I would not. I would say Bento was the best coach we've had after hitting. 
<laughs> I'll say that. Oh. The probability, the probability of Yigangin just absolutely going on a madness and Paolo Bento all of a sudden going pew and then like picking him up and you know starting him at eleven. All of this stuff is obviously very low possibility. But we said this before. This is a weird World Cup, a World Cup year. He's going to have a little bit of extra time to to do some convincing and. To me, I think we still have a little bit of time with uh, with Yigangin. I think for me, if he doesn't go, whatever. I just want him to do well. I just want him to flourish and do his thing because I think he's. I think really, truly believe he's a special player, and I think we need to take care of him and nurture him. If he's gonna get exiled now, and for some reason Korea goes to the World Cup and Paulo Bento just has an absolute fucking stinker, then he's gone and whatever, whatever happens, whatever happens. I I, I just want Yigangin to do his thing right now. I don't think he, I think he has plenty of time to feature in another World Cup two three whatever it is. I, I, I'm not too bothered. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he needs to be at this World Cup yeah, for yeah. him. Like, not for the Korean national team, but for him, he doesn't need to be at this World Cup. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we should just end it there because you know John has spoken the truth. That's really important to say. Like, you know, this. It's all about like him chasing his career success and having a good year. That's important. But you know, Qatar is not important in his ultimate narrative. I don't think you're absolutely right. But I think in the Bundesliga this year, actually, I think that there are players, Korean players, that are on the bubble for going to Qatar. They're on the bubble. Um, which young dude in the Bundesliga do you think needs to like just start playing well and playing a lot to increase their chances of going to Qatar? Chung Leung of Freiburg. Um, and he's already not off to a good start. Um, he's been on the bench, I think, for the first few games. Um, mm -hmm. Not even, like, in the first few subs that come off the bench. The Bundesliga also has five subs this year. He's not playing much at all. And I think that it's weird because we saw, I saw him in uh, June for the friendlies, and he was amazing playing in the number 10 position for the national team, you know? He looked like a real spark plug, a guy that could probably be, like, one of the first options off our bench at Qatar. And then he goes back to Freiburg, and it's like... He's not playing at all, and I don't know what's going on. And it's it's disturbing because I think there's a real lack of depth in that um, number 10 position for us specifically um, in that midfield. And if he doesn't get it together, then um, there's no saying that Bento's going to pick him because he hasn't – his first, like, debut with the national team I think was, like, last year, I think, or earlier this mm -hmm. year. He hasn't really been part of the setup for a long time. So if he doesn't get it together and start playing for Freiburg, he's not going to be on the plane to Qatar, and God forbid we're going to see some bum like Das Hango play, like, 60 minutes a game. That's like my worst nightmare right now. You had to do that Nasako plug, didn't you? Dude, he's you gonna to. play. I'm telling you right <laughs> now. He's one of the first three subs coming off the bench for Bento. I'm telling you right now, we're gonna see him play a lot. 100%. He's gonna be the first sub off the fucking yeah, bench. Yeah, he is. Uh, yes. Just um, random, <sighs> you know, just because you said this about Nasako. Um, Nasako is now Trash. the new captain of FC Oh Sol. my god. Yeah, un unacceptable. I don't even know who that club is anymore. It's yeah, I mean, FC Soul game last week, and again, he was completely invisible. The best player on the pitch that game was Choi Young, I think. And that's when we just that like, dude. just like at this point, I'd rather call Kim Jin Ya to the national team than freaking Dasango. Like, call it that dude instead. Like, I'm telling you, he has like, some pictures of Bento like at a like a strip club and like, not like a lounge, like a room salon in Seoul. And he's like, all right, yo, like, like you know what it is, like. Yeah, they fucking blackmail in yeah. Bento for a spot at the World Cup. It has to be. 
That guy is trash, dude. He's not trash. I'm sorry. I'll take that back. He's just not. No, he's a professional player. He just he shouldn't be anywhere near the setup given the talent that we have on this team. Like, 100%. We yeah. talked about Igangi. Like, Isung, like, what do you think Isung was thinking right now down soon? He's probably like, dude, what the fuck? Like, this is like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isung was probably drinking Hennessy right now because Nazo yes. was playing for the Korean national team over him. Oh, man. It's, I mean, him and also Yi Dong-kyung, also at Shaka. Um, he's had his injury problems, but he's also another guy that... Um, I know Kim Ak-bom really liked him, right? He played him quite a bit at the Olympics. Um, but he's another guy that I think should be on that plane. But again, knowing Bento and knowing the way, like how stubborn he is. And again, I don't want to shit on him too much because I think he's done a relatively good job. It's just that if it's a young guy who's not playing a lot, then he's, he's not going to pick him. He's not the type of guy who just says, hey, like... I'll take you to the World Cup and I'll put you on the pitch and take a risk. He's not that type of guy. So, there. I think both of those guys I mentioned, Yi Dong-kyung and uh, Chung Wo-young, are in, are in danger of not even making it on the plane if they don't start getting minutes in the Bundesliga this year. It is, it is 26 peep, uh, players, though, right? Yeah, it is. So there's more room. There's more room on the plane now. Well, there is, but it, it, to me, it uh, seems like Bento, if you've seen his recent selections, he's been picking a lot of like utility midfielders, like useless guys like Kim Jingyu, like just stacking his roster with those types of guys. So I don't know. Like if Bento takes four goalkeepers, I wouldn't be surprised. In September, so. I think um, just to balance it out, I think we have to just make sure to um, uh, just have a lot of really nice things to say about Paolo Bento. He, he'd rather take a fourth goalkeeper than Yi Gangi. Oh. Like, <laughs> facts oh wait whoa actually I, I agree with that i think that's actually true 100%, dude. i could back that 100 percent. it's it's so frustrating but yeah going back to i think Yi Dongjun, i think omon song is better than him um yeah so i don't i don't think even if you don't get some good playing time in the bundesliga i don't think he's gonna get a spot over omon song and then Yi Dongyang, i don't know how he would fit into the korean national team um, his, you know, his, his worst attribute is his defensive, you know, skills. And that's a huge facet for a Bento team. So he's got a great outside the box shot. He's got some, you know, passing skills, but we have players that can play, um, the way he plays. So I don't know if but this, this is my beef with bento and john you can jump in if you want like on what earth is ej hung as a player better than even Yi Dong-kyung and like Gangin? like besides his like ability to link up play and like be a good team player why the hell is he in the starting 11 over like those two other guys you mentioned that are more skilled like there is no like justification for him to play as much as he has wait EJ. <laughs> You think Lee Dong Kyung and Lee Dong Jun is just as good as? Lee no, no. I'm saying Lee Kang In, and uh, I, I'm saying at least Lee Kang In deserves to play over Lee Song for the national team for a little bit at least. Oh, okay. Actually, I can I can understand an argument where that could be made. Yes. <laughs> it, it, again, it depends on on how you set up your midfield, right? Bento likes to play. It seems like a more defensive four three three with like three central midfielders instead of like an attacking midfielder at the top below the striker. If it was me, I'm saying I would just play the older Chung Wu Young as the guy in front of the center backs and have two more forward-thinking players 
um, in the other two midfield positions. So I put Hwang Inbom there, and I also put Lee Gang In there, and just have Chong Wooyoung sit back the entire time. But what seems like Bento is doing, if he plays EJ Song, um, Hwang Inbom, and Chong Wooyoung there, it's like more of a roving midfield where they all decide to switch positions. Whereas I would just have it more like set, if that makes sense. And that's my beef with Bento right now. I think we're not going to score enough goals with that midfield that he's going to put out there against Uruguay. That's my whole problem with them. Like, I said this before on the pod. Our big, what's our biggest weakness going into Qatar? We can't defend. So, he has to put a number 10 there. Like, Hwang Inbom's not a number 10 to me. He's not a number 10. He's like a 6 or an 8. He's an 8, I would say. So Yeah, but I don't think Yang is good enough to be the sole 10 that we... we plan an offensive around Yigangin. So I think that's why Ijezhang, Hongenbaum, and Chongyung Sr. is like the best thing we got. It's like, he, they kind of could do everything, right? Going forward, they have the experience, they can play defense, they can, they're versatile. Hongenbaum can play the 10, not his preferred position, but he can also play box to box, and same thing with Ijezhang. And I don't think Yigangin can do, can do all that right now. I'm just saying, we might end up regretting it when we're down by a goal against Uruguay and we have to take off EJ Song and put on someone else. So, like, one hundred percent, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna be like Robert, you were right. <laughs> yeah, but I could be wrong though. But that's my like, yeah, prediction. But we'll see. <laughs> I mean, this is this John. This happens pretty much every time we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, Albert and going to all you guys are raising great points, and it is a conundrum for. Uh, Paulo Bento. I mean, it is easier said than done, and you know, f- you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I do think that there is this problem of imbalance with the side right now, whether it be because of age or experience or a plethora of all these kinds of problems. There is a bit of an imbalance situation going on, and it, it is definitely going to be a difficult scenario for Paulo Bento to try and figure out for the World Cup. I agree with Albert one hundred percent. I think Korea right now just they lack defensively whenever I see them get into a wee little bit of pressure, they just look like they're going to capitulate at times. I, don't, I just don't like seeing that. And that's where I see the boys like <laughs> like Igangin, where he could take a touch and check on a half turn and just absolutely sauce past players. He has that in his locker, but he's still not as experienced as a DJ Zone or a Chung Young Senior. You know what I'm saying? Like That balance is always going to be hard. So where's the trade-off? And I think that's the, that's the conundrum for Paulo Bento. It's a difficult call. And I think you can look at it one way, you can look at it another way. Nobody knows the answer. And I think it's going to be a, an interesting thing to keep an eye out on. I mean, it's something that we're probably going to see next month. You know, he's going to have two more friendlies and he's going to try to, you know, work out this conundrum again. And it may go very well or it may go very poorly, um, but we'll probably be talking about that squad next. Wait, next are we going to have two more friendlies? Who are, who are we playing? Uh, we have not scheduled those matches yet, but um, it wouldn't. They would be being very incompetent over at the KFA if they didn't schedule anything. I think we are the only like uh, only country who's going to the World Cup that has no friendly like scheduled, which yeah, is a it's a it's a problem. I, it's because nobody wants to come here in the middle of the season. It's hard travel to like all the way yeah. here to Seoul. They only come in the summer, so. Uh, anyway. All right, let's uh, before we like really just bog ourselves down and really depress ourselves with uh, the conundrum that is the, the Korean national team right now, uh, let's sort of finish up. And I just have a question that I'm like kind of curious what, what do you guys think of this? Um, is it possible that Napoli could now finally win the Scudetto? Could that happen? I don't know. 
I don't watch enough Serie A to really say anything, but from what I've read and what I've heard, I don't. That's that was a point of contention that some of the Serie A fans were talking about, and I think the consensus is that no. Um, yeah, yeah, I would agree with Gordon. They just don't have enough going forward. You know, they've lost a few guys to transfers over. Um, the Insigne went over to Toronto, if I believe he's gone okay. now too. Um, Mertens also, I think, is gone too. Um, they've lost yeah. their kind of staples in attack and i think yeah kimmy is going to come in and solidify that defense but if you don't you're not scoring goals um maybe you can win the um, italian league but you're not going to win the scudetto and i think right now this year if i had to pick one uh team in the league i think that's going to be the most dangerous it's probably going to be inter if lukaku gets his shit together um and i think he will because he's in his happy place i think for me either inter or juventus are going to be the ones that um challenge for the scudetto maybe not juventus but probably inter that's where i'm leaning towards right now I don't. I don't really watch much Serie A either. But I uh, there's a. I used to work with a. I used to work with a, a former uh, U, a U.S. men's national team player by the name of Jimmy Conrad, and he recently started doing YouTube videos again, and he did a whole Serie A preview, and he's 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 a football guru. And I don't watch Serie A, but I remember watching a video, and he was talking about Napoli. He predicted Napoli finishing fifth this season, uh, and the reason and the reason why he fin- and the reason why he predicted that it was because he said that last season Napoli capitulated when it mattered most i think it was like match day 15 or 16 or something like that he said they went on like a scoreless streak or a winless streak i forgot exactly what it was but basically when it mattered the most when it was a crucial moment to keep the points and when it was a, when it was a crucial moment for them to try and build something they capitulated and uh, and jimmy conrad suggested that it might be the same nothing really much has changed and he predicted them finishing fifth I can't speak on that because I don't really know much, but I do trust Jimmy Conrad's uh, judgments very well, and he he called that. I, I, for me, I'm always just going to be watching Kimmy Jen and his performances in, from an individual perspective. Yeah, I'm definitely watching Serie A this year for sure, 100. <laughs> percent Yeah, but I mean, I watched some of the preseason games. They look they look crisp. Their passing is really good. Their link up play is really good. What they were missing was um, they have one striker, Osman. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know how to say his name. He's really good, but. The commentators were saying that that's it. If he gets hurt, um, like they don't have a solid backup for him. I'm looking at their roster, and yeah, they really don't. Um, Chucky Lozano has been just really, you know, hot and cold, but very cold the past couple of years. Um, I know also um, they're losing Fabian Ruiz. He's got a lot of um, transfer rumors around him, but also I've heard that. Ndombele is coming to them. Yeah, he's coming. That, that's pretty that's much not a, done. That's not a good thing, right? <laughs> I, I don't understand why. Okay, I get why Ndombele gets a lot of shit just because like, of the way he acted and behaved to Tottenham. It's just like when he's on his game and he's in the right environment, he really is a really good player. Like He's one hell of a skilled French midfielder, and I think that the fact that he's not in England anymore could help him, and I think he could help them out. But like Gordon was saying, like you have to score goals at the end of the day, and if you're, um, I think Os- Victor, Os- me, me and I, I'm pronouncing his name wrong. He's Nigerian, right? If he gets hurt, they're done. Like, they might have to start playing like Chucky Lozano in the Fall Stein or somebody else. Like, it's it's not, their depth is something I have a question about. And, yeah, losing Mertens and Insigne, and I don't think they replaced any of them properly, is, is their main problem right now. Like, Ndombele is going to help, but, you know, like, okay. <laughs> I mean... I just want to, I'm going to root for them. Um, and for all of our listeners in the U.S., uh, you can watch Serie A, all the matches on Paramount+. Plus. You know, just just saying. 
All right. Anyway, let's let's wrap up, and I think that we should talk about uh, we should talk about John's jersey in the background. Give us a little <laughs> bit of a talk about that jersey, please. Tell um, us about it. Uh, so I have behind me a jersey uh, signed by the entire squad that played in a friendly versus Japan in May twenty fourth, twenty ten, in Saitama. And that jersey was worn by Anjoan. Uh That game was very special to me because I remember it. Cle- I remember it clearly as night and day. Park Ji Sung uh, at that at that time he was he wasn't really going crazy at Man United, but he was really uh, featuring from a very uh, sidelined level. Sir Alex Ferguson was only calling him calling him up for serious uh, only for serious games because he's a workhorse and he does his man marking the thing that you know Ji Sung Park does very well, but. He was getting a bit of he was a bit, he was getting a bit of shit from Korean press, from English press, and even from Japanese press. And you know, I have no problems with Japanese supporters and Japanese people, whatever. But when it comes to the Korea versus Japan rivalry, I was I was I was livid that they were talking shit about Park Ji Sung. This guy was just shitting on y'all time after time, and y'all still talking crap. And in the sixth minute, he scored a goal in that game, and he did a little lap. And he and Park Ji Sung is never the type to get up in their face and stick the middle finger. Be like, ah, yeah, fuck you, you know, he's not that type. But he he did a little lap in front of the Japanese fans inside Tama, and he and he gave him a cheeky little smile. And I, I I always remembered that. I was like, oh my god, this guy. He was already my hero, but I was like, holy shit, this guy's my god. And I managed to secure this shirt thanks to. You know, the table, you guys, you, the, the the Twitter handle. I think it was also Stephen Otto. Whoever whoever it was that liked that post by some chance brought that that eBay listing to me, and I was able to secure this. And it was signed by everybody in that squad. And Park Jung's signature is right on top of the KFA logo. I don't know if that means any uh, extra value or whatnot, but to me, it was very emotional because you know, as much as I respect Anjoan, Yunjin, and all the folks, Chaduri, and all the people that are Youngpyo and all those like goaded names, to me, Park Jung was a hero of mine. And to see his signature there, I've always wanted a signature for him. My my goal in life is to, at some point, get to meet him in person, uh, to do an interview with him or something. But to have a signature that he signed himself to me was just an amazing moment, and I was very emotional. And uh, I've, um, for those of you you guys can you guys obviously can't see it, but I have the shirt framed. Nice. Guys, everyone listening to this podcast, we will link that video where John unboxed this amazing jersey that he got it's just really awesome we'll link it below uh we will also be linking john's youtube just check it out see all the stuff that he makes he's just he's really funny and he's very honest about where he is as a man united fan which is just it's awesome i love it um but for now i think we should wrap up we should you know just make sure that we're you know ready for september and another you know deep dive into the conundrum of the of the Korean national team. Uh, Jason has requested to be back for that podcast, so you'll get to hear more from Jason next month. Uh, but for now, um, I think we'll you know we'll leave all those links down there. Um, anyone have any last words? Oh, no, I was just gonna say um, if we had time. I know we're running long, but we didn't react to our ass whipping by Japan three zero. I was wondering what John <laughs> thinks of that, and John and Gordon might think of that too. I- didn't want to talk about that at all okay <laughs> yeah just nah we're not talking about that one for me yeah. yeah let's not do that but we've been getting our ass kicked by japan way too many yeah. times and th- to my liking since the since the days when we just slapped them around for fun so i just uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather talk yeah. about man united for another two hours you know what i mean yep. oh that's a, that's you'd like game. to do that <laughs> but that's 
that's the game where I have lost, you know, my confidence in Bento for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm sure Jason will have his thoughts about it next month too. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about it either, but for now, um, let me, let me, um, let me hit um, John with like one last hard Manchester United question. Um, okay. <laughs> I just have to ask you, um, John, what would you like to do about Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, guys, uh, that's, that's been great for us. I'll see you guys later. No, no, sorry, uh, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo, for me, uh, for me, I think it was a difficult question simply because of the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is this cult hero figure, god statue figure at Manchester United. He is undoubtedly one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time. That is undeniable. My problem with Cristiano Ronaldo is where he's at in his career and at the point of his career right now. He's 30, turning 38. He is mm -hmm. always will always look out for what's in his best interest. And I think players in the modern era, I think this idea of loyalty, it's not really there. You know, the modern era player looks for their own personal brand, their own personal image. They look look and they look to take care of their future after retirement. How big is their logo? How big are they as a personality? They look for all of these factors. Cristiano Ronaldo is at the forefront of that. This guy has his own boxers. He has his own um by the way, I I heard from somebody, I heard they're mad uncomfortable. I don't know why, but, but anyways, um, he this guy is the the epitome of somebody that looks out for his best interest. And as much as people might have romanticized this concept of oh yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo returned the prodigal son returning home, he returned back to Manchester United because nobody else really was going to offer him a a, a decent money plus the situation. He is looking out for his best interest. He needs to continue to score more goals to try to create a gap in that top, cementing his you know, the all-time scoring record and all these records that he wants to continue to sort of build a gap in. And Manchester United was the best place for him to do that. Fiorentino Perez was uh, walking around and somebody asked him about signing Cristiano Ronaldo. The dude, like, he, like, his, his mind was like, are you serious? Cristiano's 38. Are you crazy? That was what should have happened for Manchester United when Cristiano was 37. We need to build a team for the long term. And Cristiano Ronaldo, just like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, just like an Angel Di Maria that had no idea what the fuck he was doing at Man United, just like a Radamel Falcao who was injury prone as hell, just like all of these signings in the past decade, there's never been a proper a structure and a reasoning as to why he came. I need him to leave. That's my, my dying wish. As much as I love Cristiano Ronaldo, I need him to leave so that he can take care of himself for his brand image and Manchester United can go on about our ways. People, I loved Pogba, but Pogba needed to leave. Cristiano Ronaldo, I love him too. He needs to leave. He needs to go score more goals. He wants he wants to keep scoring goals in the Champions League. Go somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Go to, go back to Porto. Go go somewhere else and do that. Don't 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 use his situation at my club's expense. Is what I'm saying. And people need to wake up and smell the damn coffee because Cristiano Ronaldo and this romanticism about Manchester United is not real. Now, it might have been real. Maybe there is still a bit of reality to it. But at the hard, cold fact right now is, is that it's not going to work. Like the conversation is like, oh, but who's going to give us the goals? I understand. It's going to be hard to replace him. But we shouldn't have signed him in the first place is my point. And uh, oh, I think at this point, we needed to. I like I'm that just saying, point. We need him to leave. That's for everybody. So that he can continue to sell more boxers, continue to post Instagram posts about him and his, and his small bulge and whatever the situation is. <laughs> I just need him to move on. That's, that's, just, that's where I'll end it. Yeah, that was fire. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, all right, that was that was awesome. I'm glad I asked it. I I didn't know where it was going, but I love where it ended. <laughs>
Oh my gosh, boys. This was so much fun. All right, guys. I feel like that's that's just a fun place to end. I think we can all be thinking about Cristiano Ronaldo's mad, uncomfortable boxers right now. But until next time in September, think about those boxers, boys. Think about those boxers. We'll see you guys in September.